listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast, and I want to thank everybody uh, for uh, tuning in and listening to us. We're recording this just at the beginning of December of 2019. So happy holidays to everyone. Uh, gives you an idea of uh, sort of the climate out there and, and uh, people are thinking about uh, maybe taking some uh, fishing trips as the year closes and looking at the 2020 season uh, as uh, preparing for the next uh, round of fishing. And today we've got a real special guest, uh, Brock Crocker from Crocker's Guide Service out of Sweet Home, Oregon is going to be talking with us today about what he does and uh, he fishes a lot of salmon and steelhead so i'm not going to steal much of his thunder brock are you still there i am here how are you doing man good how about yourself <laughs> doing well doing well merry christmas to you man you as well <laughs> well thank you thank you how are uh, how are things in the big uh, town of sweet home oregon they're going pretty good they're is that going right? good no yeah no yeah, where is Sweet Home, Brock? Just to give people an idea geographically where it is in Oregon. It's about 45 minutes from Corvallis. Um, it would be about an hour, a little bit south and east of Salem, the capital. Ah, okay. On the uh, Cascade side or the Cascade Range uh, foothill, yep. right? Yeah, very Correct. good. Very good. How long, have you, how long have you lived up there, Brock? Uh, I grew up here, but I went to college in Southern Oregon and just moved back a couple years ago, uh, oh. four years ago now. Oh, very good. It must have been a great opportunity uh, for you to grow up in Sweet Home with all the hunting and fishing that's around up there. It was, yeah. I grew up about three minutes from the South Sandium River and used to go down there and go fishing once I got my driver's license before high school. Wow! Before class would start. I'd go down and catch a steelhead or two, and head to class. So yeah, pretty now awesome. That's, now that's the South Sandyam, is that right? Correct. Yep. Okay, and that flows into the what the Willamette River is that what it is? Yep. Okay. Okay. So, it, it, are you still fishing the South Sandyam then? I am not right now. No, that's pretty mm -hmm. much just a summer fishery. Oh, it is uh, okay. about April. April through August usually is fishable oh okay so this time of year where where are you fishing Brock? i'm over at the coast right now i'll be fishing the alce and solettes typically this time of year okay and the alce is just outside of corvallis as i remember right they both are yep if you yeah. you go through corvallis and philomath and if you go straight out of philomath you're at the solettes and if you take a left you're at the alce ah very good very good and uh, what, what type of water is it that you fish this time of year over there? Uh, I'd be fishing in the river. Uh, about You can only go about halfway up. They, they shut it down for salmon. Um, it actually just opened up yesterday, or uh, the first, for steelhead. So we yeah. can fish the whole river now. Yeah. Uh, very good. Now, my understanding uh, is that um, there hasn't been a whole lot of rain this last couple months, and things are a little bit slow for you this uh, right now aren't they they are yeah now it's typically kind of a, almost an in-between time 
Uh, this year lasted a little longer than most actually. So, and, but it's starting out a little slow. Sometimes steelhead fishing is good by now. and Sometimes salmon fishing is still good. So mm-hmm. kind of just a in-between transitioning period here the last couple weeks. Um, yeah. Late October, I did phenomenal. Um, was limited, really? limited out clients every day for uh-huh. like 12 days, 13 days straight. It was, it was awesome. That wow. was on Chinook. Wow. Oh, no kidding. What, now, what rivers were you fishing then? That was the LC and the sleds. I fished the LC until it got so low I couldn't float anymore. And then I went <laughs> over to the sleds and started doing the same. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, now, are you fishing tidewater or are you fishing the upper river? Uh, on, that, was up, that was up in the river. It probably been, both would have been about 10, 15 miles from tidewater. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you fish, uh, what, a drift boat, right? Yep, the Pavati drift boat. Uh huh. I'll be darned. Well, that that's probably the only way that you can navigate that river when the water is low, huh? It helped. Yeah, I was kind of wishing I had a smaller, uh, a narrower one a couple of times that I had <laughs> about four inches on each side of my boat trying to go through some channels when the water was that low. But I was oh, thinking no. a, a 54 instead of a 61 would have inches wide would have been a nice little thing to have. <laughs> right. Right. Just that, just that little bit makes all the difference in the world sometimes. It? it would have gave me a little more room, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we have we have a number of listeners out of the southeast and up through the the, the uh, eastern seaboard and down in Texas and that sort of thing, Brock. Um, and they may not be familiar with a drift boat. Can you tell us what a drift boat is? It's just a it's a rowboat designed to go through the river. Um, that they can kind of handle up to class three rapids. I'm sure people have done more, but that's pretty much the limit there. Um, and yeah, they just, you could put a motor on the back if you want. I typically don't. Sometimes I put on a electric trolling motor on the back just to get me through some slow water, but mm-hmm. I, I typically just run just, just my oars. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and on the Alsi and the Celets, are there any class rapids on, on those waters? there's not there's a couple good ones um and i don't you know i don't know what they would be classified as if they even are maybe a one or two i'm sure there's a couple of those um Mm -hmm. i've never looked at a chart on them there's a couple of good rapids on each one there's some places you're not supposed to go um, yeah if you haven't done it but i've rode i've rode both both of the rivers entirely i rode all of it oh uh uh-huh uh-huh i'll be darned now, how long have you been fishing the uh, the Alsi and the Celets? Oh, shoot. Probably getting close to 15 years now on those ones. Do you, you have a favorite between the two? Uh, I would prefer the Alsi. Uh, it just it just depends. I, I had a better year this year for salmon on the Celets, but uh, I like the Alsi. It's, it's smaller, uh, usually more private. There's more people in the Celets, and I can kind of go do my own thing usually on the LC and get away from people and have some floats I do that people don't and it just mm-hmm. it's a lot more enjoyable I think it's yeah. a better experience yeah so it's a little harder to get to also isn't it? it it's a it's a yeah it's a way way rougher road to get there it's it's a lot more corners um, mm-hmm. the, the one to the sluts you take the highway 20 most of the way and they've redone most of that so it's a pretty good easy drive uh-huh 
Now, now with the steelhead season coming up, or what are you doing? Pulling plugs or running, uh, running uh, bait, or what are you doing? Everything. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will pull plugs. Uh, probably one of my favorite winter steelhead tactics is bobbing eggs, um, uh -huh. and on the Alsea, that's that's mostly what I run. Um, I got an egg cure there for some reason. I don't know why, but it works incredible there, uh, uh -huh. and so I run that most of the year i also run jigs uh, i'll see if the water gets really low i'm usually running jigs fishing down mm -hmm. in the lower river and little bedrock channels and stuff um beads yarn balls i mean i usually have about 12 to 15 rods in the boat so i can just quickly change from thing to thing oh wow really? <laughs> running plugs is always one of my favorites so i run plugs pretty much every day yeah yeah, I'll be done. Might, just, just my few favorite holes for it, and hopefully get one or two on them. Now, do you do you fish the uh, the jigs and the beads in the same way? You have a bobber above, and and just kind of run yep. through the channels. Yep, yep. I'll run a bobber above jig. It'll just be all in line, and then bead. You'll have a little weight off to the side, and they call it bobber dogging. Uh, right. I also like to do that just drift fishing as well. Yeah. Um, that is that is beads a really effective way to fish, isn't it? It is, yeah. Beads are just simple, easy. There's no scent, no bait, no nothing. It just works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was on uh, on Lake Creek one time, uh, which is uh, just south of uh, the Alsea. I'm sure you fished it a few times uh, by Triangle yeah. Lake. And there yep. was there was this little uh, store. I don't even know if it's there anymore. Called uh, Indiola. And there's a there's a hole right below Indiola, and I was I was maybe 16 years old, maybe a little older, and there was some steelhead that you could see were sitting in in that hole, but you you couldn't get them to take anything. And I was thinking and thinking and thinking, and and I had some Potsky eggs in my pocket, right, just a little jar of egg, and I found this wine cork, and I thought, well, maybe I'll just drift this thing through because I had never heard of fishing for you know, fishing, uh, you know, beads or bobbers or anything like that. I don't know if it even existed back, it was, you know, <laughs> 45 years yeah. ago now. And so anyway, I tied on this cork, right? And um, then I dropped the, the Potsky egg with a little bit of the egg hook on it, you know, maybe two feet down. And I ran it through that slot. First time through, that cork looked like it had a 15 horse Yamaha on it. It was just screaming, <laughs> absolutely screaming. I didn't know what to do, you know, and so I set the hook and that steelhead came up and cleared the water. It seemed like it was, you know, 80 feet, but, you know, it was like five feet, maybe, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and broke my line and I'm going, crap, that was incredible. But I didn't have my wine <laughs> anymore, didn't have any, you know, anything else to, you know, to bait, thing, bait it up with. And we never caught anything the rest of the day. But that was my first experience with the steelhead and, and bobbers. It was it was it was eye opening. That's for sure. Yeah, bobbers are definitely one of my favorite ways to hook them. It's it's just awesome when you set the hook on those fish with a bobber. Yeah, yeah. Now, how how big are the steelhead, the winter run steelhead in the Alsea, Brock? I would say average is six to twelve, um, and then you. Have Cats get into some that are bigger. I've yeah. caught quite a few out of the LC in the 17 pound range. Wow, no kidding. So, yeah. yeah, it's been a few years. It's been two years since I caught one that big. Um, yeah. I got a couple last year between 12 and 15. That's so, a good Yeah, I've caught some, 
It's a nice fish, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Now, uh, now, are they primarily native, or are they hatchery fish, or both? Both. That's one of the reasons I like to fish the LC and target there a bunch. Um, they, you got a really good, one of the better runs of hatchery right now. Um, you get hatchery, and they started up a broodstock program, so they take native genetics and run another hatchery run of those. So we've got two two types of hatchery fish running through the water right now and mm -hmm. it creates a pretty good opportunity to be able to keep fish. So Yeah, no kidding. I, but you are picking up true natives in there also from time to time. Yes, yeah. I, I would say it's probably oh you probably get one it it'd be close to fifty fifty ratio on hatchery to native. And mm -hmm. I guess last year I was a little higher on the hatchery side. The year before I was way higher on the native side i just caught tons and tons of natives not very many hatcheries so really? yeah it can it'd be pretty close to 50 50 if you balance it out yeah and those fish all go back don't they i mean you have to release them yep yep yeah. the natives all go back yeah they uh, -huh. uh they run that bird stock program there so we have taken uh oh live wells with us and uh you catch yeah. a native that has bit uh, you know, is is an aggressive fish is what you're looking for, and right. uh, hopefully a big one because then you get the big, big aggressive genetics in there, and you can keep those in live well and take them back to the hatchery, and they'll spawn that fish, and that'll become our next generation hatchery fish. So there that's a pretty go. cool deal they're doing right now. There you go. Are, are you are you keeping up with the, um, oh, with 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 the opponents of uh, hatchery fish and what they're trying to do with those in Oregon? Oh, a little bit. Yeah, I, I kind of help out and volunteer with the CCA and, and uh -huh. deal with them as much as I can. And yeah, they're, they're really helping advocate for hatchery fish and trying to keep them going. So yeah, hopefully it's kind of, we're kind of getting a little bit back on the uprise and there's yeah. a little more, uh, a little more research showing that, you know, hatchery fish haven't been as bad for natives as they mm -hmm. say. And actually most cases it's they're showing that it's better the Clackamas River especially they got yep. rid of all hatchery fish and and now we're you know we're seeing a big downfall up there in the Clackamas and Sandy area and that's one right. of the big reasons and now even the natives aren't doing any better with without the hatcheries being there so we'll just have to see I hope I hope we get them back because there's not enough natives in a lot of these rivers to to, mm -hmm. to survive. I, I agree. Gosh, can you imagine shutting down the hatcheries like some of those people are wanting to do? Holy smokes! I think that would uh, that would decimate a lot of the fishing in Oregon. Oh yeah, it would it would slow it down for sure. And and the, that's the worst is you know some of them are if they did that they just might as well shut the river down to no fishing and it would be yeah. you know twenty years I think before a a, a a valuable run would come back because it's just there's just not enough natives anymore. Mm-hmm. So true. The, the only rivers with good native runs have good hatchery runs, and I, they haven't noticed that, which is odd to me. But, you know, the Alsea has a good both run. The Umpqua, you know, is well known for the biggest native run in the state, but they also have a good hatchery run. Same with mm -hmm. the Rogue River. They got a great hatchery program and an amazing native run. Right. I mean, Rogue River, you can even keep native steelhead, you know, so. I you get really one. Really? You get... When I was down in Southern, you could get one a day and five a year or six a year. And I think now they're down to one a day and three a year. But still, you're able to keep a couple. 
No kidding. I'll be darned. Yeah. Now, do you, yeah. Do you fish down in the southern part of uh, Oregon very much? I do. Yeah, I go spend probably about two months on the Rogue River a year. Um, I like to, I go down usually the whole month of April and a week or two of May. That gets me pretty much the whole steel, winter steelhead season. Their winter runs a little later. So mm-hmm. I go fish the upper room there in April. Um, and then May, you start getting into a few of their spring Chinook runs. Their springers right. come in pretty early down there as opposed to most places. So it's kind of a good place when everything's on transition up here. I go spend a month down there and go do some fishing and it works mm-hmm. out pretty well for me mm-hmm. now now do you take any of the the multi-day runs through the through the road then i do not uh i've i've uh almost got in and done that but i haven't yet no it's you gotta there's a lot of permits and stuff to go through and you basically yeah. have to work with someone that has a permit to do that mm-hmm mm-hmm now you now your boat is from that the, the boat that you run is from that part of the world right yep it's from white city down there so it's uh-huh. right off the rogue river yeah yeah so when, when i was looking at buying one i got to go down there and test row one in the rogue river <laughs> oh you did oh no kidding yeah no kidding i'll be darned that's a pretty and cool boat. Fish the whole yeah, day. yeah. <laughs> that's a really cool boat that you've got that how how, how long is it it's a 17 foot. They, uh, mm-hmm. they measure theirs a little different than most drift boats. Most drift boats are measured around the side, around the gunnel, uh, yeah. from tip to back around. And these ones are measured straight across. So they're actually, even though it's a 17, it's closer to an 18.6, I think, measuring oh, how huh. a lot of other drift boat companies are measured. Uh-huh. Well, I'll be darned. I'll be darned. What, what, uh, uh, what made you select the boat you have? They are pretty much the coolest one there is. They're they're the, they call them the Cadillac of drift boats. And yeah. when they came out and I was down there and I was seeing them on the river when I was fishing down there, I was you know I was just like, man, one day I'm gonna have one of those. And as soon as I started up my business, I was like, well, I'm just gonna buy one. Time, <laughs> <Fine>, right? <laughs> that, no, yeah. what what makes them different from other drift boats? The a lot they got the doors in them which uh, are just awesome you can open up the front and uh, just step right in you don't have to step over the edge it's oh. great i've taken people in wheelchairs and they're able to get in the boat and it just makes that all so much easier it's easier on me uh, yeah. to just step out of the door i don't rip my waders anymore stepping over the edge right, uh, right. i got a pizza there's a pizza oven in it I can cook. I've cooked lasagna. I've cooked tri-tip. I've done a full tri-tip in there. Uh, halibut, salmon. If you can yeah. imagine putting it in an oven, I've done it. Cinnamon rolls. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty cool. And I got fully level floorboards so you can walk anywhere in the boat. Um, you don't have any steps, nothing to trip over. Mm-hmm. And I can move, move the seats anywhere that I want in the boat at any time. So I can balance the boat out. I can put yeah. people in front and back of me or whatever. Right, right. Wow, that's pretty cool. It sounds like you're really sold on them. I yeah, I am. There, I've been in a lot of drift boats, and they're still my favorite. I haven't been in one I'd rather be in. Right, right. Well, very good. Now, now you you also have another dimension to your business is that you go and spend some time each year in Alaska, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. 
that's just a little, you know, I don't have to, it's kind of nice. I don't have to worry about booking trips. I don't have to, I just go up and I get to go fishing and work. And uh-huh. I work for Alaska West Air and I get yeah. to jump in a really cool airplane. It's a turbine otters. They're, you know, oh, super wow. awesome, expensive airplanes and they hold uh, 10 passengers and the yeah. pilot and we jump in and fly across the cook inlet and land in land in the water over there and jump out and get in a boat and go fishing for silvers and it's pretty awesome i fishing's incredible wow so that must be what july august that you're fishing in that part of the world yep i i, I went up there mid-july and uh fished all the way through about the second week of september mm-hmm. wow no kidding so how many silvers are your clients catching a day up there you can get three per person up there is what uh-huh. it is on that other side of the inlet, yeah. Right, right. But but there's a lot of catch and release going on too, right? Yeah, there was quite a bit. Yeah, I mean if you would yeah, it was most of the time it was so yeah, it was so fast you couldn't just catch three. Uh they do six hour trips about and you know, a lot of times if you just kept the first three you'd have been done in twenty five, thirty minutes, you know. So Right. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, that for people that have not experienced that, it is absolutely incredible that part of the world and the amount of fish that goes through those rib- rivers and tributaries up there. Oh yeah, it was. You know, we, the river, one of the rivers we'd fish when you'd pull in in a boat and you'd go to park at a spot, you'd just see the water take off moving, and it wasn't mm-hmm. a boat wave that was fish. It was just waves of fish and. You could see them coming up rivers every once in a while. If you were just above a shallow tail out, you'd yep. see a wave of fish, you know, a hundred fish come in. You're like, oh, everybody get ready. You know, it was, <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, years ago, I was up uh, in southeast Alaska on Admiralty Island, which is just outside okay. of Juneau. And we had this little yeah. uh, creek or river that we would fish called Pibus. And my God, you know, when the, when the tide would come in and you were up that river, it, the, the, um, the, the rise in that water would take them over this little bit of a falls to get into the creek. And then, I mean, you know, it was like a stampede of fish and you'd have those <laughs> damn things, you know, bumping into your legs and stuff. It was the oddest feeling, you know, but um, yeah. it, it was crazy fish, absolutely crazy fish up there. I grew up with my family. We would go to Prince of Wales Island down there in Southeast every oh, yeah. year. Um, and yeah, it was, I mean, same thing. We used to, I think my grandparents went 28 years in a row or something like that. So I oh, got to really? go up there and we'd, yeah, my family, whole family would go. Sometimes there would be 15, 20 of us and we'd spend the whole month of August fishing for silvers and trout up there. And it was just, yeah, it was phenomenal. No kidding. So you, would you go up on the, what on the uh, the ferry uh, out of yep. uh, like Washington and take your vehicles? Yep, both. We would drive. Sometimes we'd go out of Bellingham, Washington. Other times we'd go out of Prince Rupert, Canada, and right. uh, take a ferry across to um, Ketchikan, and then mm-hmm. from there we would go to Hollis, Prince of Wales Island, and oh yeah, go up from there and drive in yeah. and. Yeah, we'd take um, big wall tents and set up a big kitchen tent and everything like that. And yeah, it was people like, oh man, you camped for a month. I'm like, yeah, but we ate like kings and the camp was barely a camp, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
Yeah, I've, I've spent some time on Prince of Wales Island also. What a, you know, what a great island and how big of an island that is. It's just absolutely oh, yeah, it's huge. massive. It, it, what is it? It's considered the seventh largest island in the world or something? I mean, it's just huge. It's just absolutely Yeah, it's, it's giant. Yeah. I've been there for a month and you can't, you can't hardly see all of it in a month. I mean, you could, but no. you wouldn't be fishing. No. You would be just seeing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you want to see eagles, that's the place to do to go, huh? Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I I had a buddy that actually moved to Craig, Alaska, one time, and he was a cat guy, loved cats, and took us four cats up there, and they were outdoor cats, <laughs> and the cats God, no. were all gone within the first week. The eagles had swooped down and got them, and he was out of cats. Oh, it was really oh man, sad, you know, in a way, <laughs> yeah. you know. What do you think? You know, they, they, they end up being bait, right? But um, Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, so how does the fishing season look for 2020 coming up, Brock? I think it's going to be a good season. You know, last year was the first year we had that uh, a return of the broodstock fish. And yeah. I think this year's going to be better on the broodstock, which is good. I probably caught, oh, I'd say close to 50% of the fish I caught this last year were the broodstock with uh -huh. the other splitting between hatchery and native. So, um, yeah, I hope it's just an even better run of those that's coming up here. And they're, yeah. they're awesome fish. They fight like a native pretty much because they're from native genetics. They're hard fighting, really fun fish to catch. They, they're great eating. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I think it's uh, – I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be a good season. Uh, we'll see how the weather goes and as long as yeah. it's fishable. And it should be good. Yeah. Now, um, um and and that will that'll start getting good. What uh, well, I guess when it starts raining a little bit because they're stacked out in the ocean right now, right? Yeah, pretty much. We got some rain coming in uh, a little bit this next this week here. Um, we'll see how much that does. It's it's supposed to bring it up a foot or so, which mm -hmm. could could get it going. Could start it. Um, I've caught them early in mid December quite a bit. It's been a year or two. Um, yeah. Typically now it's kind of late December is when it starts. Uh, mm -hmm. Late January and all of February is like prime time. If you're not out there, late January and beginning to middle of February, you're you're missing out. Right, right. Well, and, and you're starting to get a real name for yourself too. You you picked up a a, a real big sponsor. What a couple of weeks ago, something like that. Yeah, I did. Yeah, Lamb of Glass called me up, and that was Alcee was actually kind of the main reason. The, really, the guy had heard about me from people fishing the Alcee and. Yeah, he called me and was interested in talking to me about getting me on their pro team. And yeah, it was pretty awesome. I was pretty excited about that one. Gosh, and they called you. That that's a that that's rare. Yeah, he, he uh, sent me a, the the rep sent me a message on Facebook and uh, talking to me. And yeah, he's like, call me if you're interested. And I was I was with some I was with my cousins. I was like, hey, I gotta step out and make a phone call right now. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, no so. kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. They they make a great rod, that's for sure, and they have just an incredible name in the industry. So, congratulations, man. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah. And then, um, and then you head back up to Alaska in 2020 around what July? Is that what it is? And, and yeah, uh, uh, probably mid July. Uh huh. And and then you're back fishing. Uh, the fall runs uh, September, October. 
Yep, yep. I'll finish the hopefully be fishing the South San Juan all of June and up until the day I leave. I think I had a trip this last year. I did I did a trip the day before, I guess two days before I left, and I had to make sure I had everything packed and ready to go the <laughs> the next day and drive. And I drove up to Alaska this year, so not yeah. sure that's my plan again this time or not. I know it was you pretty much have to have a vehicle when you're there for that long. It would yeah. be terrible yeah. to be stuck without a vehicle. So gosh, that's it. How long did it take you to drive all the way from uh, Oregon to the Kenai? Four days. About 12 hours a day. It's a, it's a 47 hour drive from here. Really? No kidding. So four days. It was, 20, of, yeah, of, it was 2,800 miles. Yeah. Yeah. Is it all paved now? It is there. There's places, you know, where there's construction or whatnot going on, but it's, it's all paved. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, what an adventure that would have been. That, uh, that it was a gorgeous drive. Yeah. Yeah. I'll bet. So I'll bet. So well, terrific. It was well, Brock, a little worse coming home. There was a lot of snow. <laughs> now say that again. I said it was a little worse coming home. There was a lot of snow. Well, there was. Oh, that's right. You spent another month, didn't you? Yeah. I, I came back. I think I got home October 16th or 17th. Oh, and yeah. Drove, drove home with quite a bit of snow. My mom yeah. wanted to super bad do the drive, so she flew up and uh, drove back with me. She just oh, wanted cool. to see the drive. So, yeah, I had, a, I had a partner on the way back that made things a little nicer driving, yeah. driving yeah. through all that snow. Wow, no kidding. Boy, you saw some country. I've I've never done that, and that's one on my bucket list of uh, one of the things I'd like to do, just because of all the stuff that you can see on that uh, on that track. Yeah, we saw on our way home. We saw almost every single North American animal, except for a cougar, wolf, and like a musk ox and polar bear. But every, I mean, we saw every type of um, bighorn sheep, doll sheep. Stone sheep, mountain goat, grizzly bear, brown bear, deer, uh -huh. every species of deer. It was it was incredible. No kidding. No kidding. Were there, were there many other people on the road? Uh, parts of it there is. When you're going through Alberta, it's usually pretty much just you. Uh, that mm -hmm. northern Alberta and yeah. northern British Columbia, it's a long time between places and a long time between other cars. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right, right. Well, that's all uh, all part of it. Well, good deal. Well, Brock, how how do people get a hold of you if they uh, want to go fishing in Oregon or Alaska? Uh, you can call, email, Facebook, or Instagram me. Uh, huh. Or you know, you can also go to my website, at Crocker's Guide Service. Uh, they're all they're all under that, all under Crocker's Guide Service, and you can find Got it. any of my information there. Got it. And um, in in regards to your calendar for the coming year. Um, is there still space left uh, for people that want to go out and fish? There is definitely still space left. Yep, I've mm -hmm. uh, I've got bookings kind of on and off throughout the winter. Um, one of the things I typically kind of do, and for my winter season, is I like to I kind of almost build a roster um, as I book. Um, some people want to book a specific date, and sometimes I, you know, I'll say okay, go with that date. But a lot of times in winter, you get blown out. Uh, right the trip you know you can't do it so i kind of book and try to book in uh in, in time blocks almost uh, you know and that way everybody can get out there and get it get it done that way because yeah it, you know it, it could rain a foot overnight and 
you know, raise the river a foot or two foot and sometimes it's just not fishable. So winter's yep. a little tricky to, to book and so mm-hmm. that's how I try to deal with it and, and keep very, things balanced out. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, Brock, we sure appreciate the chance to uh, talk with you and get to know you a little bit on uh, uh, on this 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 podcast today. We um, we wish you uh, the absolute best in 2020 and and happy holidays to uh, you and your family. Thank you. You as well. Okay. You take care, Brock.